Welcome to the Common Good Mixtape, where we mix the music and culture of the 80s and 90s with nonprofit and social work practice. I'm your host, Drew Reynolds. And I am Roger Saclupe. Roger, I'm excited today. We're here to talk about nonprofit leadership. But before we do that, how the heck are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, just falling into fall. I love fall. Fall has got to be my jam session. Uh, spring, no, no way. Too much pollen. I have bad allergies. I'm sniffing all over the place. Uh, summer, you know, beach time. I love the beach. Not going to lie. Um, winter gets cold and I don't mind snow. Actually enjoy it when it snows and go skiing. But fall, fall is where it's at, my brother. Well, you and I are speaking the same language because fall has always been one of my favorite seasons. And I sometimes say that too much to my friends that they make fun of me for it. So, <laughs> um, so I'm excited to see you again and to be talking nonprofit practice. Uh, today, we've got a great guest coming on, Michelle Reiner, who's going to talk about her work with nonprofit leaders. And so for those of our listeners who are either currently in leadership roles, maybe you're an executive director or a program director, um, like Roger here is um, at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Um, and so, you know, that's this this episode is really for you. And we're going to talk about some of the struggles that nonprofit leaders face. Uh, what are the things and myths that might come up uh, with nonprofit leaders that we kind of have to work through? Um, and also, what are the support sources that we need uh, as leaders to be successful in our practice? And we'll talk about coaching, which I'm really excited about. And Michelle is the perfect guest for that. So uh, I'm curious too, Roger, and you know, we've had we were talking before we started recording here about some of the challenges that we've witnessed some of our colleagues in the field face, but also ourselves. We both had kind of different leadership positions too. So um, we just uh, finished up with our interview with Michelle. So what were some of the kind of key things that you think about with um, challenges that nonprofit leaders are facing? So Drew, I was really happy that we did this interview with Michelle. It helped me learn a little bit more about myself as a leader, uh, but then also how can I support my colleagues who are in nonprofit leadership uh, with not only encouraging them uh, to seek coaching, um, but also making sure that they uh, take care of themselves from a mental wellness perspective, right? So that's one thing that stuck out to me is this conversation. She mentioned a mental health is something that is really key for nonprofit leaders to acknowledge and also receive that type of support uh, to improve that. Um, so uh, that that was important. And then also the, the the fact there's she talked about myths, right? These myths about about nonprofit leadership and sort of being the person that knows it all. Well, sometimes you're not going to know it all, and it's okay to seek support from other individuals within and outside of the organization, right? And it's also key to, to, to seek support or input from individuals who, I guess, as a nonprofit leader, they may not traditionally interact with, but who have key information like direct care staff. Those are individuals who are doing the day in and day, day outs of that organization, right? So connecting with folks like that really enhances a nonprofit's, a nonprofit leader's leadership style. Yeah. And we, we've talked a lot on different podcasts about the importance of relationships, of trust. We did a series on Encounter a couple of years ago that, that focused on a lot of these themes as well. And I think, you know, for me, a lot of the conversations came down to that trust. We talked a lot actually about the trust needed in the relationship between an executive director and a board chair, for example. But that trust is also so key, even just in a leadership team, you know, program directors, development staff, um, executive directors, all these folks in these different roles coming together um, and to trust each other um, and to build that relationship that's so necessary for when the adversity and the challenges and the funding challenges, all that stuff comes up. Um, and so I really appreciated that that emphasis on relationship. Um, and no surprise coming from our guest, who is also a social worker, as we are um, uh, working in this field. Yeah, I was excited that she is doing this work as a social worker, um, somebody who is my peeps, you know, she understands and knows the complexities, but also the advantages of being a social worker in all spaces. So I'm so glad that we sat down and chatted with her a bit and had some fun. So Roger, we're going to go ahead and dive right into this interview. And to kick us off for the interview, we're going to play uh, a song down memory lane from the 90s here from Alanis Morissette, uh, Hand in Pocket, which I think does a great job of talking about some of the challenges and difficulties and tensions that nonprofit leaders are feeling. Uh, so enjoy the song, everyone.
Today, we are joined by Michelle Reiner of Storied Awareness. Michelle has worked, consulted, and volunteered with nonprofits for 30 years and knows what it takes to lead from all sides. She now coaches nonprofit leaders to reach their goals faster and so that they can love what they do. Michelle is an IPEC certified professional coach and a head coach with Akimbo's Alt MBA. As a nonprofit leader, she has won industry awards, including Oprah's Use Your Life Award and the Greater Atlanta Community Foundation's Managing for Excellence Award. She holds a master's degree in social work from Columbia University. Living in Atlanta, Georgia with her family of five, life includes lots of conversations, laughter, and creative tension in her house. Uh, Michelle enjoys reading, meditating, and cooking, and is writing a book for those seeking to tap into their spiritual nature. Michelle, welcome to the Common Good Mixtape. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's dive right on in. Um, I okay. am thrilled that I got a chance to meet you a couple of years ago. And we've been um, a couple of years in the making of this podcast with pandemics and other things getting in the way. But now we are here today and we're so grateful for your time and the expertise that you're going to share with our listeners. So talk to us a little bit about your work and your career and your work with Storied Awareness. Okay, great. Well, I have um, always worked in some way with the nonprofit sector. So I've had experience as a chief operating officer of an international nonprofit, as an executive director of a small nonprofit, as a board chair of an independent school, um, and, and all sorts of stuff in between. Um, and as my journey progressed, I left the permanent workforce when I had, we started our family so I could have some more flexibility and started doing consulting around strategic planning and governance and, um, uh, things of that nature, organizational development. And recently, over the past few years, I've kind of morphed again because I just keep kind of refining what I love to do and where I think makes the most impact for, for nonprofits. And I have started solely doing executive coaching for nonprofit leaders. And so that's where I sit right now. This is incredible. I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to speak with an expert in the field um, of nonprofit leadership work. I think it's essential and it's important for nonprofit leaders to um, to have that support to to recognize when it may be time to tap into a different source, but also to acknowledge what are some things that, that's working. Um, I, I think it goes hand in hand. And I have a, a, a question. I have an original question, but this just came up because as I heard you talking, um, my curiosity sort of sprung up and um, what are what are some of the challenges that nonprofit leaders go through, um, you know, whether it's uh, staff turnover, whether it's funding, but what what are some of those challenges and how can they rectify those challenges? Yeah, so I'm, you're going to find today that I'll talk less about fundraising and financial management and governance than these, the other side of things, the things that I, um, call real skills, right? And other people call real skills or soft skills, whatever you want to say. Because I think that the things, uh, you, you can learn how to do the tactics of fundraising. You can learn what good governance is from a book, right? But the reason that I find executive directors are leaving, and that's what's important to me because we have a problem because from any study you look at, about 60% of leaders leave and don't come back. So we're, we're just losing people, right? So the three myths that I find that leaders are, are embracing, which aren't true, are, are that it has to be a sacrifice to do this job. You have to kill yourself financially, emotionally, mentally, physically sometimes. The second myth is that you need to know how to do it all to be effective, right? You've got to be everything to everybody to be an effective leader. And then the third is that there are some leaders for whom this is natural, right? For whom this is easy. There's leaders over there that, oh, they know how to do it. And there's something wrong with me because I'm not a natural leader. So maybe I shouldn't stay in this role. So those are the, those are really the top three, I call them myths, but the top three things that I think are imp impacting our leaders today. So burnout is real in nonprofit leadership. I'm so glad that you had um that you mentioned that. And wow, 60% of nonprofit leaders leave and don't come back. You're right. That is that is huge. Um and I hope that as we have this discussion 
um, we can provide that insight for our listeners, whether they're nonprofit leaders or individuals who are thinking about nonprofit leadership, mm -hmm. uh, that there is a way to not only love what you do, but remain and to also enhance where you are and to grow, not only personally, but then also help whatever organization you're 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 leading grow as as well from the inside, right? From mm -hmm. the inside. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So I'm really curious about some of the work you've done because you're familiar with many different nonprofit leaders and you have lots of conversations and you've also collected data on some of these leadership challenges. So can you talk a little bit about the survey research you've been doing with, um, with nonprofit leaders and what you've been finding? Yeah. So my first study was on, well, my first and only study so far was on, um, why these leaders are leaving, right? Because I, I saw that statistic. I, I knew it in my life. You know, I had a lot of friends who were nonprofit leaders who were, are no longer. Um, and so I decided to do some qualitative research and I interviewed over 40 uh, former executive directors. So I interviewed those people who left um, and tried to figure out what, what was going on. Like, why, why did they leave? Because, and I, and I just want to say why, right? Because this creates turmoil for the individuals, right? If you're in a job that you are so overwhelmed in or frustrated that you're going to leave, you're, you're, you're not feeling good, right? So personally and professionally, the individuals aren't doing well. And then it causes incredible turmoil for organizations, right? So it's expensive to hire a new leader. It fractures relationships, both internally and in the field. Um, it creates gaps in institutional knowledge, like people leave and you don't even know what, who, who did, who did they talk to, what happened? And, and it halts progress towards strategic goals. And, and that's the point, right? We're trying to help communities. So, um, so I interviewed all these people and it was really exciting and they were, they were all so passionate and smart and, um, you know, just top-notch nonprofit leaders or former nonprofit leaders. But what I found from, from this group, um, over half of them, 51% of them left their role within four years. And what I like to say when you hear that stat is if you leave within four years, you know, you're thinking about it at least a year before you leave, if not two, right? So they're basically starting and then suddenly wanting to leave. 60% um, of the people I surveyed did not take another executive director job. They said, I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's too crazy. I'm I'm never doing that again. Maybe I'll be a maybe I'll be a, a vice president of programs, but I'm not being an executive director. And then 45% of them left the field completely and never did any nonprofit work again. Um, so what what I what I need to point out is that some of them shouldn't have stayed. Right? Um, it wasn't a fit. They thought this was the right job for them. It wasn't the right job. Their life circumstances changed. You know, um, someone's mother got sick and they had to put more time towards that, you know, children, things like that. Positions get eliminated um, because of mergers or shutdowns. And um, and sometimes there's shifts in the mission. There, I found there were a couple, I think maybe once, maybe twice, there was a mission shift that the board drove and it just didn't align with the interests of the leader anymore. So... So those kinds of things, um, except maybe the not a fit, but are what I called positive and purposeful leavings, right? These were, the, so out of my group, 23% of the, the departures were positive and purposeful. They, they actively like took a new job that was a step up. It was, it was a positive leaving. They planned their transition with the board. Um, the merger made it clear that, you know, there were two leaders coming together. They gracefully stepped away to do something else or the position got um, the organization sunsetted. So there was no job to be had anymore. But with that, so that's but that's only 23 percent. Right. So 77 percent of them left unsatisfied. That's crazy. Right. Um, and so. What I found, and, and interrupt me with questions if you have any, but what I found um, influenced their leaving were things that probably won't surprise you. Maybe some will, but the board of directors, right? Their relationship with the board of directors, um, finances, and, and in this I combined 
both inherited financial issues. Like some people stepped in and they had never looked at the financial statements before they took the job. And then they thought, oh my gosh, like we are in trouble. Um, and that's overwhelming, if, especially if the board wasn't sharing that with you in the interview. And finances, I also put in fund, fundraising is there. Like, and it was merely lack of, it was really seemed to be lack of confidence in fundraising. Like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. Um, so board of directors, finances, mental health was a huge one. And you can't, it's hard. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't have uh, a research team behind me. So it's hard to parse out like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, but there were people who just got super depressed in the role, incredibly anxious in the role, and just couldn't handle the emotional stress of the role. Um, the fourth was uh, acknowledged and silent stressors around racial and social inequity. Um, these were uh, stories of, you know, board members saying insensitive things or not understanding the communities that they were serving. Um, a, a black executive director needing to not respond to a funder who makes an incredibly racist comment because they want the money or feel like they can't respond because they don't want to get this grant lost to their organization, right? Things like that. And then staff staffing, um, you know, uh, there were white executive directors with all black organizations, vice versa, community, you know, you can see it goes in all directions. Um, and then the fifth was management concerns is people not tapping, um, not having skills and those real skills I talked about to handle management issues. Um, so that's kind of what influenced their leaving. Um, and what I found is the, um, there were like impact opportunities, right? So when, when I, if I present these findings to boards, I look at it as them having five ways they can impact the success of their executive director. The biggest, uh, well, they're all big. So one is the partnership between the board chair and the executive director. If that is a true partnership and a true relationship, and these people are in lockstep um, working together for the success of the organization, then the organization can handle anything, I think. I really do think that. Um, Leadership coaching, the, the ones who had coaches were able to stay longer. And um, and since then I've started, I'm starting interviewing executive directors who've stayed. I just haven't kicked off that survey fully yet, but that seems to be um, a, an influence, a, an impact on people. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a coach, right? And I'll, mm -hmm. I can share some, some uh, statistics on that from the International Coaching Federation in a minute. Um, Learning how to manage culture and staff, um, being adept at that and getting the confidence and the skills to be adept at that. Um, navigating inequities across racial and social lines and then succession planning. So if a board is able to give the executive director the tools and the skills and the support to do those five things effectively, partner with the chair, have a coach, know how to manage staff, navigate inequities and plan for their succession, then, then things seem to be able to work, right? The other things seem to fall into place. So I'm going to stop talking for a minute and see if you have any questions. Oh, we've got, yeah, there's yeah. so much there. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to interrupt because I feel like you, you were kind of laying out. Each I was on a roll. Pieces. Oh, right, you're yeah. on a roll. You're on a great roll. Um, <laughs> so let's continue. Let's, let's roll off of that. Um, you mentioned mental health, mental wellness. I think that's mm -hmm. important um, mm -hmm. for all of us, right? So uh, not just, um, how can I phrase this? I, I, I get, my, my feeling is that at times individuals may look at a nonprofit leader, whether it's a, a, a CEO or, or an ED, right? Mm -hmm. As somebody who has it all together. And mm -hmm. maybe at times uh, they negate the fact that this individual is in a position that does and may often 
bring anxiety um, that can lead to other things. And so that awareness that, hey, just because uh, this person is an ED or a CEO doesn't mean that they don't also feel, that they don't also have those moments of like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do next? Which I know you had mentioned that there were um, some some folks in that leadership position where depression may have settled in. And that mm -hmm. depression may have been the catapult to say, I need to step away from this. I need to do something totally different. So where, yeah, so where can we pinpoint and provide um, resources, right, for nonprofit leaders to have that coaching, to have those moments of like, I need uh, to make sure that my bucket is full, full again before I start having other people dip into my bucket. Yeah, and it, it goes... Um back to those myths I shared in the beginning, right? Yeah, it has to be a sacrifice. You have to need to know all the answers and there's natural leaders, but I'm not one of them, right? So the, the, the top three reasons that leaders left in my study um, were that they were overwhelmed, they felt isolated, and there were, they felt unrealistic expectations from both themselves and their board, okay? So, what those remind me of are the myths, right? If it has to, if you feel like this has to be a sacrifice all the time, you're gonna be overwhelmed. And if you feel like you need to know all the answers and not let, you know, not show that you are uncertain in any way, you're gonna feel super isolated. And then if you think there are natural leaders who, who they just do this and it's easy, you're gonna feel weighed down with unrealistic expectations, right? So to me, it's, um, it's helping leaders is to, uh, approach their work with self-awareness, vulnerability, and courage, okay? And so this is where I get into those, like, you can learn how to fundraise, you can learn the techniques for good governance, but if you are not self-aware, if you are not vulnerable, and if you are not courageous, you are going to feel overwhelmed, isolated, and met with unrealistic expectations. Um, and so I think that coaching helps people become more self-aware about how they're showing up and what they're bringing to the table and how they're reacting to what's in front of them, right? Coaching helps people, and not just coaching, and I can talk about other stuff too, but it helps also helps people um, feel supported so they can feel vulnerable um, and really put themselves out there and ask for the help that they need, right? And take steps to do that. And then it can help them um, be courageous. It can help them make a plan. Okay, this makes me nervous, but these are the steps I'm gonna take to do this type of thing, okay? So that's kind of how I look at it, is that the way to, to combat these myths is to, really think about the true things about nonprofit leadership. Um, and I've got a lot of truths, but they bucket under being self-aware, being vulnerable and being courageous. There's so much here. Um, and I'm so glad to have this conversation. Michelle, You, I've admired your work for a number of years now, and in large part because you and I actually have had similar career paths. We're both social workers and we both do nonprofit mm -hmm. leadership work. Um, so, and, and I currently actually, I'm serving as a board chair of a charter school here in Atlanta. And so I'm curious, mm -hmm. you know, in that we talked about that relationship between the board chair and the nonprofit leader. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about what you, what your approach is in helping executive developer, uh, directors foster that? And also for board chairs who, you know, what, what makes for a good relationship between those two uh, nonprofit leaders? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's that's a really interesting one. It's hard sometimes to get the board chair. So I'm really super glad you're 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 on a board <laughs> because it's hard. It's really hard for board chairs to understand their their role in this in in helping executive directors, right? Because they they're um, they're volunteers. And they're, they're maybe this isn't their priority, and maybe these real skills are not how they work 
in their own work, though I think everybody should should work in their own work that way. Mm-hmm. But what I've what I've found again, I, I like I like like postures. I like you can tell I like to have things organized in categories. But mm-hmm. I think if if the the, the partnerships that um, kind of practice being generous to each other, right? Accepting that we're going to mess up. We are going to, we are going to have ups and downs, but I have your back. I'm not looking to fire you every second. I'm not looking to find out what's wrong. We're trying to do what's good for our community, right? So generosity, candor, feedback is so hard to give and receive, but without it, you, you are, you are not, you, you like resentments build up, um, misunderstandings creep in and no one knows what's working, right? You, you have no, no like way to understand what's effective. Um, so candor, I think is really important. And to, to have an, a, a good relationship where you can be honest and open, you know, you have to have that generosity first, right? And you need to have some structure. So you need to kind of practice it before things get hairy so that when things are hairy and scary, you have a, a framework to work within. Um, support is a big one, right? So um, acknowledging successes, talking. I mean, if, if you, if a board chair shares positive things about their executive director, when the executive director is not around, like to other board members or members of the community, it helps, like it helps build up that relationship and vice versa, right? So kind of supporting each other in the success and then being able to support each other where they're, where the feedback has shown, um, you know, holes, right? So, ooh, I noticed that you're, you're really having some trouble with the public speaking. It doesn't seem to be like, I know you're so passionate, but you get in front of an audience and I don't see that. So let's get you to Toastmasters, right? Let's get you to a, a program that's going to help you. So, um or the other way, I notice you don't know how to read a nonprofit balance sheet. Like maybe we should meet with our accountant and you can learn that. So then the board can really understand where we're at financially. Okay. And then the last one, the last posture after candor to me is, is sounds a little funny, but it's, but it's protection. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think this relationship you have to going back to there's, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up the board chair and the ED, but probably in this case, more the board chair needs to kind of have their back. Right. So if there's an issue, as long as you, you hired this person, they are the person doing this job. They haven't done anything like flagrantly wrong where, you know, obviously where it would be immediate firing, they messed up. Right. So, so have their back and protect them in both, both in public and in private. And, Go back to the candor and the generosity and the um, and help make it better, right? So that's kind of how I look at that relationship between executive directors and board chairs. Yeah, I think it's so important the way you talked about um, and, and what's true in all of those pieces is that sort of deepening relationship between the executive director and the board chair, such that mm-hmm. like when things come up and when things do get hard, you have this kind of baseline set of understanding and trust really between the two that you're yeah. going to support each other um, in, in those difficult moments. And I've, I've found that to be really important uh, in yeah. my, uh, serving in that Absolutely. role. And also when I talk to the executive directors that I work with in my professional work, you know, I think that kind mm-hmm. of question does come up and um, on how that relationship looks and, um, and when that doesn't go well, you can, you can get, it's very, <laughs> you can very quickly notice it's clear. Right? Yeah. It's very clear. For sure. Right. It's very um, clear. So you're also a coach. And I know we've alluded mm-hmm. to kind of the importance of coaching a little bit through the, this episode as well. But can you just talk maybe and provide an overview? Because I think a lot of executive directors feel like I can't do this. I don't have the time. I can't afford it or whatever the reason may be that kind of prevents mm-hmm. them from, from seeking coaching. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about like what is it that coaching does and how mm-hmm. might an executive director sort of overcome some of those barriers uh, to seeking out that right. assistance? Okay. So... All right. So the way I look at it is we have um, in our lives and say, as in our professional lives, like five people who can help us. So we have a friend. We, we can have a friend who is usually someone who's there to like reassure us and be like, you're awesome. Right. And they're kind of similar. They're the same as us. 
Um, you can have a mentor who's someone who's been there, done that. They're going to champion you. They're going to teach you. They're going to guide you, right? Um, you have a consultant who's going to help you solve a business problem. You have a therapist who's going to help you gain skills, like emotional skills, so you're, you can be not fall into those mental health issues. And then, then there's a coach. So that's, that's how I kind of see the five, the five um, ways. And a coach is there to um, be a, create a space where you can explore um, your, what's blocking you, what's working for you. Um, and it's really about uh, taking action. So, you know, as therapy is really about unpacking, right? Coaching is about where do I want to get to? What's in my way? And what steps am I going to take to move forward? Now, within coaching, you deal with what's blocking you. So it sometimes feels a little therapy-like, but it's not, you're not getting into, you know, whatever, your childhood and all of that. But but it's it's a place to unlock that, and so a good coaching relationship really allows you to um, exhale, take a look at things in a different way. Um, a good coach will prod you with good questions. A good coach will not give you the answers. So if a coach is telling you this is what you should do, they're actually a consultant or a mentor, and the it it's not true coaching because true coaching is pulling out the greatness in each person and helping them figure out what's right for them and what's next for them. Because what worked for me when I was an executive director might not work for you. Um, we've got to figure out what's right for you right now and what's the next step you're going to take to get there, right? Um, so that's kind of how I see coaching or what coaching is. I was super excited because last month, the International Coaching Federation put out a research study they did on, they sent coaches to seven nonprofits around the world, like with, who worked with children around the world. And like, I never see studies <laughs> related to nonprofits. So I was like, whoa. Um, and they found that, that they, um, these leaders said that coaching helped them set strategic goals. Um, it helped them grow in terms of their leadership skills. Like they really, they, they had, you know, they were here in the beginning and they were here at the end. Um, it gave them renewed energy, which I think is really important. Um, they saw an impact, like they saw an impact on their team and their constituents because they shifted, then their team shifted. And then, you know, over that year, they had more social impact. They, they served more kids. They impacted more kids, right? So I don't know if you can exactly tie that to coaching, but the leaders tied it to coaching when they answered the evaluation survey at the end. They said, this helped me serve, helped us serve more kids. Um, and so, and all of them said that coaching helped accelerate their strategic plan and amplify their mission. So real leaders are finding real impact with coaching. Um, what, how I like to look at the cost, you brought up cost, um, Drew, is that you know any 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 support we have any service we gain costs something okay so and the cost of hiring and uh, hiring a new executive director so you as a board chair is incredible right so it's i don't have the number in front of me and i should i should know it off the top of my head but um there's a certain percentage of salary that it costs to hire a new executive director and it's much higher than what it costs to get a coach right so um, I think that it's one of those short-term costs for long-term gain type of situation. But if someone is going to hire a coach, they should definitely make sure that the person has been trained and that they um, have that the approach I was talking about where they're not going to tell you what to do, but they're going to help you build what, what is right for you and your future. Because what happens is if someone's telling you what to do, it's okay in the short term, um, but in the long term, when, when the coaching relationship ends, you're back where you were in the beginning because no one's telling you what to do, right? So a good coach will help you know what to do because you'll know what's inside of you. You bring up some really great points. Um, thanks for sharing that, by the way, because it's important for 
um, boards to understand and recognize that, yes, even though you're uh, this individual was selected to become the new ED or the new CEO, doesn't mean that they wouldn't benefit from uh, coaching or trainings or something to help enhance what they already know. So uh, mm -hmm. I may know something, but I don't know it all. So it would benefit me to know a little bit more in whatever mm -hmm. capacity that is to help create a comfortable atmosphere for me to lead, right? So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how uh, a new ED or a new CEO who's coming on board, what, how can they embrace their role as that leader, as that leader of a nonprofit coming into an organization? To tell me more, and how can they embrace the role? What right of of being a so um how does how can they embrace their new role as an executive director or as a CEO of an organization? So they've been through the interview process and now they're ready to lead. So how can they? Um, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that makes sense. You might have to edit this out, Drew. So, um, so I'll pause for a minute. So I was reading through some of uh, your like previous blogs, and one of the oh, things yeah. that I okay. saw was about transitions. So how do mm -hmm. how do how how do individuals come in as an ED, and how do they embrace that role as an ED? Um, because there's a lot that they have to keep in mind. Um, it's a new place. Mm -hmm. It's a new organization. It's a new atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It's a new environment. Um, you know, new everything. So how do right. you, how do they lean into that? Yeah. Okay. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of things, right? So you've got to, let me tell a story. And so, okay. So my son, he's in college now, but in high school, he was a runner. And so we were always at the orthopedist's office. He's always hurt. <laughs> One day the, so we got to know her pretty well and she's great. So, and she, she was the orthopedist for like all the, the, the sports teams, right? The Braves and the Falcons and the Atlanta United. She did work with all the, all these players. And she said one day, she's like, Austin, that's my son. Do you know, I'm going to tell you the secret to the most successful athletes. And we were like, what, what is it? Right? Like they practice extra. They have coaching on the side. They, they go to the gym, they hit the gym more. What, what is it? And she said, they stretch their hamstrings, right? And we were like, what? She said, it's, it's incredible, but no one likes to do it. But stretching your hamstrings multiple times a day allows these players to not be injured, to maximize their workouts, stay on the field, and they become the better players, right? And so I was thinking about that story the other day, I, I actually did a presentation on these myths and the truths of nonprofit leadership to an organization. And, and I think that nonprofit leadership is the same, right? So you need, um, you need to, to do the work, you need to go to practice, you need to know how to fundraise and manage your staff and do planning and evaluation and all the stuff, right? That's the baseline, you've got to do that work. Um, but the hamstring stretching is putting in that emotional labor. So, and that's where I get back to that self-awareness, vulnerability, and courage, right? It's not glamorous. It's like kind of a little vague. And, and if we had more time, we could get into deep detail to make it not vague, but, but it works. So for new leaders, what I would say is first, you've got to do the work. You, you've got to understand your organization. You, you need to know the financial statements, the organizational history, the strategic plan, the policies, the programs, the evaluations, you need to know that inside and out, right? You've got to understand like quickly the culture and who are the people around you. Um, and then you've got to figure out how to build those, those trusting relationships with your board chair, with your staff, with your donors, with your with your your constituents, your partners, all of that, right? And so, um, leaders who only do the work, they only learn the finances and the fundraising plan and all of that, can be effective leaders. But the ones who do their hamstring stretching and are able to really look at um, how how 
who am I in this role? And what help do I need? What can I do well? Who's around me to support me? Um, and and how can I tap into um, everyone around me is th they're going to be more effective leaders. Yeah. So I guess that may be a, a roundabout answer, but I think uh, that's what I think. <laughs> no, I love it. I think um, another key component is being able to cultivate those um, relationships with a lot of key players and mm -hmm. necessarily doesn't have to be just the board, you know, key players include um, like direct staff, like individuals yeah. who are in whatever capacity that organization is in the community, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's folks who are in the community working with community members, right. Or mm -hmm. um, just, you know, individuals who are doing like behind the scenes work as well. I think that connectivity is key. I feel like it's key yeah. in, in the success of a ED or a, a CEO or a nonprofit leader. And that, that absolutely. And that, that may be, um, what it's sometimes one of the harder things, right? Because it's hard to build real relationships, especially if you feel like you're, you're back to those myths and you have to have it all figured out. And I am this kind of leader. Right. Um, and, it, it's hard because and then you have to go back to that being able to give and receive feedback and you have to go back to being generous and letting people make mistakes and all of that is tough right but that is what makes the difference um one of the things that that um i work with folks on is leading with authenticity and that's it's really hard especially for a new leader um I mean, I, I was a new leader and I remember I like went out, I never wore a suit in my life. And I went out and like bought all these suits because I thought a leader needed, this was back in the day. And I thought a leader needed to wear a suit, right? And so it was like, I, I needed to figure out how to take off my suit and be myself and still claim my leadership role, but not have to wear a costume, right? And that's, that is challenge. It's very hard to do. And it, it often takes support like a coach or, or a mentor or someone else helping you along. Um, uh, there are, there are, if you're interested, there are like four things that authentic leaders show like traits, I guess, that authentic leaders have. And they're interesting because it's being super clear on your purpose and your values. So really knowing what's important to you, why you're doing this work, why you're sitting in this role. Um, it's getting really comfortable with what's called your wise mind and your wise mind. I'm sure you all have heard about it as social workers, but it's where where your emotional mind and your reason mind overlap. Right. So not only being totally emotional about everything and not being like, I'm so reasonable and process oriented, right? So kind of bringing it together, authentic leaders are able to do that. They're, they're genuine, obviously, that's kind of in the definition, but they're humble. They're able to recognize where they've stumbled and that their successes are, are as fleeting as their failures, right? And then they focus on long-term results. And a lot of the tips I give leaders kind of end with that because if you're able to really focus on the bigger picture and the longer term results, then you're able to take, take things in stride day to day, right? And not be as stressed and anxious about every little thing. Um, it's kind of like meditation, right? You're, if you're able to look at the bigger ocean, you can handle the waves that come along. I absolutely love the fact that you're doing this work, but more importantly, I love the fact that you are a social worker who's doing this work. <laughs> and we have listeners who um, may be social workers. We have listeners who may be students, whether they're in undergraduate or graduate social work programs or mm -hmm. doctorate, PhDs. And I'm just excited because um, as, as I teach students, I, I let them know, like, as a social worker, you are a Swiss army knife. You will be very versatile in what you can do. And just the fact that you are here and you're providing this incredible information, but from the point of view, the vantage point of view of a social worker and that you're doing great work out there, 
to improve nonprofit leadership, which then improves the organization, which then improves community well-being. And that's what it's all about. Like organizations mm -hmm. existing for the betterment of the community, for the betterment of the individuals who are living in the community day to day. So thank you so much for what you are doing, because it is awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. And I thank all the all your listeners and the leaders that listen for what they're doing, because the 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 big thing I want to make sure I say, because sometimes I talk and it's like, oh, just do this and be candid and have generosity, right? It's hard. Like this work is hard. It's super intense. The resources are slim and it's um it's it's just difficult. And so I think that we all need to give ourselves a little compassion and break and now like whoo no wonder i'm feeling a little overwhelmed because this is tough stuff so i think that people should always get the support that they need right be self-aware understand what's missing and find the support because it's out there there's amazing amazing people and resources out there Well, thank you so much for this great conversation. <clears throat> Can't wait to have our listeners share uh, their time in listening to it so they can learn more about their own thoughts on leadership and how they see their roles in leadership progressing throughout their career. We always end with a conversation about 80s and 90s music. And so for mm -hmm. our episode today, we thought we could have maybe, um, what are some songs from the 80s or 90s that maybe you remember? And then Roger and I will share some too that make you think of leadership or the challenges of leadership. Um, so, yeah. Michelle, we'll turn it over to you. What are some that you might remember from that time period? Okay, so like I said earlier, when we were off off uh, recording, 80s, I'm 80s all the way, and I, I love 80s music, and that's my channel on the Sirius XM. But um, the song that, that jumped into my mind when we think about nonprofit leaders is by The Cure, and it's Whisper to a Scream, because I think that a lot of leaders are quietly suffering in their whispering and then ultimately getting to the screaming stage where they they've had it and they're done and they leave and so my hope is that we can shift that and maybe as you're talking i'll think of a different song for a, a more positive um win for our leaders that's the <laughs> one i think of <laughs> it be challenging that's true roger do you got one i have a few actually uh we can just talk through it it's good all right, these are kind of funny. So um, I originally was going to go with one of my favorite groups ever, not just of the 80s, um, U2. Yeah, and, on my list. And I don't know how it directly relates to nonprofit leadership because the meaning of the song, it's, it's, it, our listeners can, can research it, but um, Where the Streets Have No Name is such an inspirational mm -hmm. song not just because of the lyrics, but just the 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 beat, the music, like the intro, the the climax of the song, like the ending. Everything about it is just inspirational and incredible. You could put anything that you want to be inspired about and play that song, and you're like, okay, I'm there. All right, but if we're going with like this connection between uh, nonprofit leadership and and music for the '80s, uh, so living on a prayer, Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. I feel like perhaps at times in that leadership realm, it's like, okay, we're living on a prayer here. Like we, <laughs> we, we, we got to balance this budget. We got to find a way to reorganize. So it's, that's sort of that, that uh, mindset um, that I find that connection with that song. And then um, Kenny Loggins danger zone, like, because mm. in, in, in some instances, leaders may find themselves in that danger zone of like, all right, we, we have, we need to make the shift. We have to reorg. We, you know, so those those are sort of those those two main songs. But I had to throw in you two because one of the greatest groups ever. Awesome, uh, I love it though. You know, you, you can't go wrong with you two for sure in any in any situation really. Um, so I I was thinking about this song and I came across uh, the song "The Impression That I Get" by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and. It's a great ska song. Um, I actually didn't realize there's actually some history to that song with respect to being written in response to tragedy, which I wasn't aware of. Um, but I think that the lyrics kind of generally speaking is kind of like somebody who's 
sort of witnessing somebody who's enduring some hardship or some challenge and wondering if they'll have that same sense of courage. And I think as an outsider, sometimes to executive directors who face challenges, um, you know, uh, something can come up, especially when it comes to something like a crisis at an organization, um, often wondering, you know, would, would any person feel like they had the courage as a leader to step in in that situation? And so I, I love how it sort of engears a sense of empathy towards leaders who are facing challenges and, um, and it's got a good beat. So uh, it does. Well, we're going to let yeah. you slide. We're going to let you slide because that technically is a, Michelle and I went straight up eighties. You went nineties on us. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. I get one a little That's later. Okay. That's okay. Cause we do <laughs> we'll, we'll 80s and nineties. That's right. We're we'll flexible. let you go. We're flexible. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to learn more about your work, where can they go? Yeah. So, so my website, um, they'll, they'll find a lot of my writing and research, which is storiedawareness.com. Um, you can also get onto my newsletter from there. It's in the footer. And I share just monthly things I'm thinking about and working on around leadership and nonprofit leadership. And then um, I think LinkedIn is probably the best place to catch me in terms of social media. So under me, Michelle Reiner is the best place. Wonderful. Well, we'll have some links to uh, your work and resources also on our webpage at www.commongooddata.com slash podcast. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom with our leadership or with our listenership today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This was really fun. I appreciate it. Thanks, awesome. thanks Michelle. Thanks. And I also, real quick, I love the plug for The Cure. Again, another awesome 80s. <laughs> That's <laughs> the right. The Cure was always on my radio back in the day, so... Awesome. That's great. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, y'all. Okay. The Common Good Mixtape is a production of Common Good Data. Check out the show notes and all information about this podcast at our website, www.commongooddata.com slash podcast. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the handle at Common Good Mixtape. Listen to the full episode with music tracks at Spotify or directly on our website. So grab your Walkman, dust off those old cassette tapes, and listen to the next episode of the Common Good Mixtape. See you next time.